0: Today we're going to talk about what Republicans are trying to get in exchange for holding the debt ceiling hostage, and I interview former Republican consultant and writer at The Bulwark, Tim Miller, about the ever-growing list of George Santos' lies, where a so-called moderate Republican like him fits into politics now, and what he expects to see from the impending Trump-DeSantis feud. I'm Brian Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. So this past week, the U.S. officially hit its debt limit. Uh, In last week's episode, I warned about what's at stake if the U.S. defaults, which is Basically, the full faith and credit of the United States, domestic and global markets, the stability of the U.S. dollar. Even though we hit our limit, the Treasury Department is now using what it's calling extraordinary measures to meet its obligations for just a limited amount of time, which brings us to June of this year. If the debt ceiling isn't raised by then, we'll see our economy crater and the dollar's position as the world's reserve currency put at risk. So fun stuff. So the solution here, as I explained in the past, is a clean bill raising the debt ceiling. Republicans won't do that because they see this as their opportunity to hold the entire economy hostage in exchange for a few concessions. And in terms of those concessions, we don't know all of them yet because Kevin McCarthy won't reveal what he promised those hostage takers in exchange for their speaker votes. But we're slowly starting to learn what some of them are. And they are insane. We already know that they want to take an axe to popular programs like Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid that you know they don't want because those programs serve the working class and not the donor class. And so even though you've spent your entire lives paying for those earned benefits, Republicans want to privatize because, you know, no enterprise is valid unless there's a rich CEO behind it, giving you the absolute bare minimum. But this week, we also found out that they're pushing for the elimination of the IRS, all personal and corporate income taxes, the inheritance tax, the payroll tax. And all of that would be replaced by a 30 percent national sales tax. It's called the Fair Tax Act, which is a gift to the wealthy. It's like. Christmas and their birthday and the 4th of July wrapped into one. So instead of collecting income tax commensurate with your income, which, you know, for the wealthy is a lot. Instead, we slap a flat tax on every item sold in this country, which means every single time you buy a shirt, a meal, a roll of toilet paper, it'll cost 30 percent more. And so now it's not the wealthy being taxed based on their income, which is disproportionately higher than everyone else's. It's everyone else, the working class, that'll carry the brunt of the tax burden in this country. Like, think about it. It's not like someone making 10 million bucks a year is buying lunches that cost a thousand times more than someone making one hundred thousand dollars a year. So our tax revenues will plummet, which means less funding for programs that people rely on to survive, which means people pay out of their pockets and have less disposable income. Uh, That means less spending, which will contract our economy. And because we'll have less tax revenue, that means our deficit gets worse, which means it's harder to shrink our national debt, which is the thing that Republicans pretend to care about even though all of their policies actually make it worse. Like there is no planet on which the elimination of all income and corporate taxes being replaced by a flat sales tax does anything other than drive our deficit through the roof. Here's the wildest part. Consider the fact that we just finished an election cycle where the only thing that the GOP ran on was high cost and inflation. And now that they have power in the house, the way they want to exercise that power is to tax everything 30% higher? Every time you open your wallet, you're incurring a 30% premium. Super low income earners don't even incur an income tax, but now they get hit with paying more on everything. Again, the only people who win here are the ultra rich, and it is the working poor who would get slammed. All of this coming from the same people who are currently cosplaying as as the, the voice of the working man and following the price of eggs going up like it's the stock market on Black Friday. The gap between what these people say and what they actually do is big enough to fly a plane through. So what do we do? What's the, what's the solution here? Hawaii Senator Brian Schatz summed it up pretty perfectly. He said, quote, in exchange for not crashing the United States economy, you get nothing. You don't get a cookie. You don't get to be treated like you're the second coming of LBJ. You're just a person doing the bare minimum of not intentionally screwing over your constituents for insane reasons, which is exactly right. Like you don't negotiate with hostage takers. Because then that tells them that hostage taking is an effective strategy. And these people already think that because it worked with Kevin McCarthy. He's going to put a bill on the floor seeking to eliminate the IRS. He's probably going to try and tie that bill to the debt ceiling. So the position here has to be making sure that Americans know that Republicans are trying to crater the U.S. economy. And in exchange for cratering the U.S. economy, they're also trying to take away your Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid and slap a 30 percent tax on every single item sold in America. If you can find what part of that sounds good to you, Like, I'm all ears. So we'll continue to watch this fight play out, but hopefully it's resolved before the 11th hour in June when we're set to default. Hopefully the Democrats can make it clear that we're not going to sacrifice the entire economy so that a few terrorists can traffic in their fever dream of screwing over the working class. Because it's already clear that Kevin McCarthy and the rest of his party are perfectly willing to do that. Next up is my interview with Tim Miller. Now i have got Tim Miller, Republican consultant to a number of campaigns, including Jeb Bush's campaign in 2016, and now he's a writer at The Bulwark. Tim, thanks for joining today.
1: Hey, Brian. Good to be with you, man.
0: Thanks. So uh, let's start with the obvious here. Uh, what was your favorite Katara Ravash routine? Oh,
1: that is a good question. I mean, I did like her death drops yes, uh, right. on season three right. of Drag yeah. Race. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that how you say it?
0: I don't know, and I was actually going to ask you. For those watching, by the way, Katara Ravash is George Santos's purported drag name from when he was, of course, a drag queen in Brazil. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, but I was trying to figure out what... What the pun is with Qatar Ravash. <laughs>
1: yeah, a ravishing maybe. I don't know. I don't. I, my Portuguese, all I got is yeah. so I don't know any other Portuguese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, he's giving drag queens a bad name, though. You know, with his, he's a thief and a liar, and you know, this, uh, this is drag queens deserve better. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I, you know, I think, uh, I think in the in the drag community, this is probably, <laughs> this is probably the least of their uh, <laughs> this is their problems lately. I was actually going to ask, like, do you think that this will be what does him in as far as Republicans are concerned? Because you can. Lie about your religion. You can lie about your job. You can lie about about how many times your mother has died. But, uh, you know, being a drag queen in the Republican Party today does seem like the cardinal sin.
1: That's not that great, but Carrie Lake used to be a drag king, and she got along <laughs> with it. I think it's, the question is how willing are you to go along with MAGA? I mean, look, Republicans like you know, somebody that will poke their eye in the libs, that's one of them, right? Like they, they love the idea of a gay Republican. There's no way to get him out besides shaming him or kicking him out, right? And and he seems unshameable. And Kevin McCarthy is so desperate for every vote he can get, uh, he's not going to get rid of him. And so I think that we're stuck with Santos, at least until there's legal issues, you know, which I, I think clearly we're going to run into legal issues since somehow he came up with 700 grand, you know, despite the fact that he was like stealing his mom's patient's checks to buy shoes, <laughs> Uh, yep. so yep. and and you know I don't I'm not really a drag critic but it didn't look like he was spending a lot of money on his costumes right. either.
0: Yeah. No the the, the beatdown wasn't wasn't top <laughs> top tier. So um do do you think that the drip 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 of George Santos's lies um, will eventually become an actual problem for Republicans. And I ask this because when you've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like Lauren Boebert, like George Santos, who become the de facto faces of the Republican Party by virtue of them being the only ones in the news every day, do you think that that will eventually um, kind of bear itself out when Republicans show up to vote for their candidates in the next election in 2024? And and the only people that they've heard about for the last two years are... Uh, You know, this guy who's lying about his religion, his mom, his, you know, drag queen past and and on and on.
1: Yeah. A lot of it will depend on who the Republican nominee is, right? That will t- take out on a lot of what the 2024 vote is. But just as a general topic, the crazy-ass Republicans are absolutely hurting, hurting other candidates. And and you know, I think that some of the smart set in D.C. was like, "Oh, this is a Twitter phenomenon, and actual real voters don't care about this." But it turned out in, t- in 2022, we learned that real voters do care. And you know, I was on the road a lot. I did some with the circus with Showtime this year, and for the Bulwark. And when you talk to kind of Bulwarky topics, Who are like former Republicans who have switched? uh, You know, they, like, I I will hear just as a general comment from somebody that I'm talking to, like, these guys are a fucking shit show, yeah. you know, like, and you just list all the people. It's like every person that they come out, every person that I hear from, all the whole Trump posse, like they're all corrupt, they're all crazy, and, and I can't vote for my local Republicans if the party is such a shit show. Look, I'm from Colorado. This is a good example. Joe O'Day ran. He's probably the most normal Senate Republican in Colorado uh, of all the Republicans, and um, and and I asked my friends and, and, you know, sources and stuff in Colorado, and a lot of people were just like, you know, Joe. Joe Day seems like a fine guy, but the rest of the party's fucking nuts, and I don't have any trust that he can go to DC and zag because no other Republicans have shown that they could, besides like Liz Cheney. So I do think that Santos is just like one more example of this on top of Green, on top of all the others you l- named.
0: You know, John Stewart came out in a recent episode of his show and cautioned against confusing absurdity for lack of danger. And look, I don't think that George Santos is gonna be the next Trump. You know, this guy is a right. is a a doofy bowl of jello. But do you think that this is a cautionary tale against the kinds of people that, you know, run once deceit and shamelessness are no longer uh, uh, things that stop people from running?
1: I, Stuart hit it on the exactly on the head. This was the January sixth phenomenon. You know, as as a Never Trumper who was speaking out and very concerned leading up to January sixth, there were there were a lot of people, who, you know, a lot of old gray beards who were like, "Ah, this guy's a clown. This isn't. He's not really going to have a coup." And then all of a sudden, the the Capitol's getting stormed. Right? It's a, I, that that caution, right, to say, "Oh, these guys are jokers, so they can't be scary." I, I mean, January 6 showed more clearly than anything that that you can be a joker and be scary. I mean, like Rudy Giuliani with the dye dripping down his face. I mean, that was, he didn't have the A team working on that coup. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I mean, I I think that that's like a, you know something that is going to continue to be um, an issue. And and if you look at the party, so that, let's put it this way: in 2016, when I first spoke out against Trump, I got a lot of calls from people who are like business guys and, you know, normal centrist Republican types were like, hey, I want your advice. Can I still run in 2018? Can I still be part of this party? I'm thinking running for Congress. I'm not sure if I should. And I would tell them, I don't think you can win a primary without being crazy. And and usually those people didn't run. And and so who has run, right? So so this is like a demand, quest, supply and demand question, right? Who does decide to run? People who either are crazy or are happy to pretend being crazy. And so I do think that that, that if you look at the makeup of Congress now, in 2023. It's actually significantly crazier than the 2017 Republican Congress. Um, You know, it wasn't like Trump just like flipped a switch. It's a gradual effort where quasi normal people opt out and people willing to, you know, do what George Santos is doing opt in. Yeah. Um, You know, with that said, you were a longtime Republican
0: consultant. There are a small faction of you out there, like, where do you fit into politics today? Because, you know, I I hear a lot about these moderate Republicans, these uh, these Reagan Republicans, but but that that Republican Party doesn't actually exist in practice. We're in a moment where like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a 9-11 truther, uh, is sitting on the Homeland Security uh, Committee like that is that's what the Republican Party looks like today. So I guess where do you fit into this?
1: I um, certainly don't fit in there. And I, I, I tried to fight within the party. I, we tried to recruit a primary against Trump in 2020 and, and didn't recruit any strong candidates. And and after the all the Stop the Steal stuff, I officially left the party in 2020 because it just felt hopeless. Um, but I, we still are pretty important, right? We're not, with us, former Republican types, swing voters, moderate types, we might not be um, enough to control either of the parties, obviously, that have moved away from us. But if you just look at 2022, you know... I, this isn't kind of popular to say in progressive spaces, but like if you just look at the numbers, with exception of young voters, like the Democratic core Democratic groups didn't turn out as high as Republican groups. Young voters turned out higher than they tended to. So that helped Democrats in certain places. But but republican base turnout was higher than Democratic-based turnout in 2022. The reason why Republicans did worse was because people that identified as, you know, as maybe 8% of people that identified as Republicans nationwide, different in different districts, voted for the Democrat because they're like, yeah. this party is so crazy. That's why the Democrats won, I, I uh, you know, did better than expected and, and held the Senate. And so I, I think it's an important group that, that frankly, the Joe Biden Democratic Party is talking to now more than the Republican Party is talking to. Uh, we'll see if the Republicans learn their lesson for 2022. I don't see any evidence that they have. But right now, like the reality is we're just my people, like the, you know, the Romney, Clinton, Biden people. Like we're just homeless and we're just going to be and, and, and many of us are for all practical Purposes, Democrats until until the Republicans get their shit together, and like you said, I don't see that on the horizon.
0: I've spoken to Mike Murphy about this, who is yeah. who is uh, you know another Republican who. Who, uh, who came on to to speak with me, but just kind of this idea of would you kind of vote for Democrats? And Mike, Mike said no, but like I think it's going to be different here. But would you vote for Democrats to hasten the demise of the Republican Party as it stands now until you can kind of until up from the ashes yeah. will, will emerge a, a, a different Republican Party? God
1: love Mike Murphy. You know, there's nothing false about hope. And he's a, he's a sweet guy <laughs> and a smart strategist and won a lot of campaigns. But I, I, he's just hoping for a party to, that's going to come back that's not ever going to come back, yeah. and, and so I think that's why he answered the question the way he did because he thinks, and I, in good faith, this isn't a criticism. In good faith, he thinks it's worth it to fight for the party, pick the handful of good Republicans that are still out there, your Mitts, your you know Adam Kinzinger's or whatever, and and work with them. My view, I, I'm more aligned to your view, which is I, I think that there needs to, that the Republican Party isn't going to actually reform itself until it it feels like it's not viable. Um, you know, look at what happened to the Democratic Party in the 90s with Clinton, right? Like, why did the Democrats move to the middle in the 90s? Well, because they just got their ass beat two straight times, like or three straight times, excuse me, um, in overwhelming blowout fashion. And so they're like, we have to move to the middle. Now, maybe some of the progressive listeners didn't like that move, okay? But like, that's what it was. It was a practical move. Right. If the Republicans are ever gonna move back to a sa- sanity, um, you know, they're going to need to, they're going to need to lose. And so I, I do think that, um, that for now, um, I think that I'm essentially in an uneasy coalition, mostly with, with Democrats, um, you know, and might be different on a case by case basis.
0: Well, the irony of that is that Republicans had the opportunity to do that. I mean, they were repudiated at the ballot box. And so they should have taken that as an opportunity to retool and figure out like what didn't work and change those things moving forward. But by virtue of kind of like, burying their heads in the sand and, and doing this political theater where they pretended that, uh, that they didn't lose an election that they very clearly lost. It kind of took that opportunity away from them to retool and present themselves better to their own voters so that they could win the next time. And then the next time they lost again. And so
1: they kind of, I mean, they, they did it to themselves, right? None of them listen to me anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My old friends who stuck around with the party. Uh, but I, I, I was screaming this for the rooftops. Had they convicted him during the second impeachment you know, instead of Mitch McConnell going out there and giving the speech like about how his principles, but then voting to acquit. Had they convicted him, he would have been barred from running in 2024. Now, that would have pissed off some MAGA people. And so 2022 probably still wouldn't have been great for Republicans because on the other side, they would have lost MAGA voters, not not voters in the middle.
0: But probably less than the amount of of Republicans Republicans who who defected to the Democrats.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so so then you could have built for the future, right? So they had this opportunity right in front of their face. They just needed to get 17 Republicans. They got seven. They needed to scrounge 10 more to convict his ass, ban him from running and say, this is not us. This is not our party. And maybe they could have built from that. Uh, That, I think, was the critical error, And now I feel like we're in a spot where we're many cycles away from being able to fix it.
0: There was a recent vote at the end of the 117th Congress to protect pre-existing same-sex and interracial marriages. Uh, A handful of Republican senators voted for it, but about 75% of Republican senators didn't. This was, you know, just until a few years ago. Your party. Did this have any effect on you? Like to see to see that. I mean that that is for all intents and purposes like an attack on an attack on on, on you. And you mean into, as a gay as as a gay <laughs> uh, an attack on you and like the entire LGBT community. Yeah. I
1: mean the gay the gay thing is so is so interesting, right? Because on the one hand, you know, the idea that I like to think back to like eighteen year old young Republican closeted Tim. You know, if you would have told him that like. Oh man, 47 Republicans will vote for gay marriage in 15 years. And like, you'll be married and have a kid. I would have been like, well, that seems pretty good on yeah. balance, right? I, you know, okay. Yeah. But then fast forward, things have changed so fast, and and we've made so much great progress. You know, thanks obviously to to Democrats and and to activists on the left, um, that now you look at it and it's like a slap in the face, yeah. right? Yeah, like, like right? Not, not, yeah, like the like, crumbs
0: that you're being given are not. This like is enough. not enough,
1: and um and and you see, I to me that vote while disappointing like the number of republicans have voted for it is less concerning you know now I come from a different place as a, as a dad than the stuff that is in the schools right and and you can see like the republicans basically have seeded this fight on on marriage and on the military and you know some of the big fights of you know my youth um and and now we're saying okay well we're going to I could basically reskin the old 1970s and 80s, you know, gay scare, gay teacher scare, you know, for the 2020s. Um, and, and, and I think the don't say gay stuff that DeSantis is pushing, like to me, that is, uh, that's the stuff that I'm not going to be able to abide. And right. And that is, I think, is what makes, is one of the reasons, not all of the reasons, but one of the reasons that makes me different from like a Murphy and some of the others, not to pick on him, right? You know, I, I hear from some Republicans who are like, well, DeSantis seems like a little better. And, I look and I'm like, I don't think, like I can't get there for DeSantis. Yeah. Like maybe you could sell me on a Chris Sinunu, but you can't yeah. sen- sell me on Ron fucking DeSantis and yeah. the Don't Say Gay thing.
0: I, I want to get into exactly that point. And that is this idea that basically because Ron DeSantis is, isn't Donald Trump, that all of his other flaws can just be, can be, you know, disregarded. But like, this is a guy who is who's not a moderate by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, I, I, I can promise you that as we see this fight, this primary fight, this impending primary fight move forward, uh, we'll see Ron DeSantis like come at Trump from the right. From and the so- right. And so, like, I guess, what do you make of that as we as we, you know, head toward twenty twenty four?
1: He definitely will, and I think that he sees his his lane against Trump as as attacking him on vaccines, um, attacking him on the border. You didn't build the wall hard enough, you know. You weren't effective enough, um, and, and so and you know you you just generally didn't own the libs as well as you should have, right? Like, I think that's where his 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 hit is on him, um, and and so you know, I I look at that. I, to me there were a lot of reasons i donald trump was never even close i never even contemplated the idea that i might support donald trump uh, you know there are plenty of reasons one of the reasons though to oppose trump as an ever trumper was that just the downside risk of him he's just such a fucking loose cannon and and psychotic right the, you know who the hell knows what he could do um like that's the only area where Desantis is better than Trump for me, right? Like you, uh, you know, Desantis is in some ways. It's kind of hard to Im- close your eyes and imagine people waving Desantis flags and horns and charging the Capitol, right? Like he famous, maybe, la- famous, yeah, last, famous last words, words right? <laughs> yeah. but it's a little hard. Like yeah. to, that, that Trump always had that downside risk, but on a po- if you just look at him on a policy you know, for on a policy grid, uh, DeSantis and Trump are going to be indis- indistinguishable.
0: There's been a lot of anointing Ron DeSantis, the the heir apparentcy uh, in the Republican Party, despite him showing pretty much no appetite to to take a swing at Trump. Or I guess not only not only is he not taking a swing at Trump, but he gained all of his fame in the Republican Party by like basically being as subservient to Trump as he could possibly be. I mean, You remember that that build the wall commercial with his kid. And what do you think happens when it when it comes time for him to make a decision here? Do you think that he ultimately does engage in this battle that will be scorched earth on Trump's end?
1: People should go back and watch that out with his kid (laughs) building the Lego wall. If They've not seen it. It is. It's actually crazier than it than it even sounds. Um, So so having campaigned against him in 16 with Jeb unsuccessfully, if you don't remember, (laughs) DeSantis seems to be wanting to try the Ted Cruz model. Right, which was, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, but... On this one or two things, I'm a little more conservative than you, but I don't really want to criticize with you. Don't fight with me. Not, you know, don't pick on me. Right. And and that's kind of the path I think DeSantis wants to go. It didn't work for Cruz. Right. So I think there's a good reason to doubt that it could work for DeSantis. The one thing that he has going in his favor is that Trump is just has a lot more baggage than he did in 16. Right. Like you can't just you can't be the outsider again. You can't his shtick is feeling a little tired. He's looking a little older. Right. And so the question is, is Trump going to be as good at, at the Trump at doing the trump of it all of 2016 the nicknames like Ron DeSanctimonious seemed a little half half baked right like uh you know it just is tr- so it's possible that the scene that the cruise strategy from 16 might not have been enough in 16 but might be enough in 24 because of trump's weaknesses um but I, I think that there's also a lot of reason to think that it won't that it won't work and that trump will just lay the hammer down on him and i, I don't think that DeSantis has demonstrated a ton of strength at The political performance of it, uh, you know, like he's, he's good at like yelling at a reporter at a press conference when you can't hear the reporter; it's just a one way thing. Like he can, like Chris Christie was, um, he's good at that. But he hasn't demonstrated that he's like that charismatic, or you know, uh, when standing next to Trump on stage is a very different animal than that. So I, I think there are a lot of potential pitfalls.
0: It's going to be interesting too, because a lot in a lot of ways. Ron DeSantis' political identity is predicated on his fealty to Donald Trump or his kind of emergence out of out of the Trumpism of it all. And so for him to have to kind of go against that, to like completely separate himself and then turn on Trump is uh uh, you know, it's it's not sure like whether he's actually going to be capable of even. Of and even Trump doing
1: will that. use that. You can already see it. I mean, yeah. Trump's already saying out there saying that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, Trump's going to try to turn him into kind of like pat him on the head, yeah. his, his little mini me, you know, yeah. and say nice, you know, good luck, maybe next time, little yeah. little guy. And and um, you know, the question I think comes to whether like that alpha Trump thing is enough anymore, right? And and uh, you know, or whether there's a, a a critical mass of Republican voters that get convinced by the DeSantis argument, which will be basically, I'm giving you all the stuff you like about Trump, but without some of the baggage, without some of the political baggage, yeah. uh, can that argument win? In the vacuum, it sounds like a good argument. <laughs> will it be a winning argument when, when Trump is out there talking about all the reasons why it's bad yeah. and making fun of him and mocking him and making him seem like a little bitch?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's never too early for some bad takes. So, okay, with that said, it. what do you think is going to be? What do you think is going to happen as we head into 2024? What do you th- who do you think the general election candidates or nominees rather are going to be?
1: Boy, it is really early for for this. Never, t- um, never
0: I, too early for some bad takes. I'm never really too, bad. Like, at predict- I'm really <laughs> bad
1: at prediction. So, I like uh, I thought it was going to be Kamala in 20. You know, on the Democratic side last time, yeah, and, and a, I did, and bad, and I thought one. that it was going to be Rubio. <laughs> so, don't fucking listen yeah. to me. I guess that's what I'm going to say, yeah. Um, I, look. Six months ago, I would have said I don't think Biden can run, and I think it'll be an open field, and and you know it'll be anybody's guess. I think Kamala, again, I would have maybe ran with Kamala uh, despite seeing her challenges. Um, uh, Now I think it's pretty clear Biden wants to run. Uh, It's going to be tough to argue against that. Uh, He has he has a great record, and you know the midterms went well. Like what is the record? What is the argument against him running if he wants to? So I, I think it will be Biden. Um, And and right now, you know, I I think that Trump is a slight favorite over DeSantis, a slight favorite. And but, you know, I think that we really have a lot more information on this come summer. Right, uh, but I what I don't here's what I here's I mean, you, I mean much more I will be much better telling you who won't be yeah. like Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, uh, you know all the like somebody's moderate. That's not what the Republican voters want. Well, you, you they saw, want a I mean, fighter. It'll be Desantis, Trump, or some other kind of MAGA outsider. It's hard to see it not
0: being Mike Pompeo. I mean, this guy the guy is so popular that that you yeah. saw that blurb that that uh
1: he made of himself. He made of himself
0: in his own book. Yeah. <laughs> like this book reads reads like a like a stunt. (laughs)
1: compelling read and
0: and it was so fun writing it mike pompeo uh
1: yeah no pompeo's gonna be speaking to a lot of like half empty pizza ranches in iowa and uh he and he's gotten skinny and um you know he he uh he's president in his own eyes but uh, i don't think that's gonna land for him
0: okay so um more broadly in terms of what's happening right now Do you think that we're going to see anything substantive from this Republican led House or are we going to be relegated to two years of what I think is obviously the most important uh, political issue facing us right now, the most important national security issue facing us right now, which is what you called uh, the issue of Hunter Biden's hog? (laughs) (laughs) Have
1: you looked at Hunter Biden's hog? I haven't haven't seen it, but uh, but all these
0: these conservatives are doing their level best at trying to make sure that it gets back onto our timelines.
1: uh, Yeah, well... Um, it's you know it's something to look at. I'll tell you that. Um, Hunter, uh, they are the number one issue for Republicans is making sure that all the social media networks are forced to put Hunter, <laughs> Hunter Biden's hog <laughs> yeah. onto the timeline. That's it. That's their top issue. They're gonna investigate Hunter. Uh, they're gonna investigate uh, the naked pictures. They're gonna investigate the. Uh, you know, his business dealings and, you know, find any evidence they can that Biden is involved with that at all, the president Biden. um, And and I think that will be their top priority. Uh, And then I think there'll be other investigations, the new classified doc issue to muddy the waters with Trump. Obviously, there are differences, but the Republican House will do that investigation. Uh, I think that there'll be investigations and maybe some impeachments at Alejandro Mayorkas. And then the only substantive thing that they're going to do is this economic brinksmanship uh, over the debt ceiling. In order to force cuts, and I think I think uh, secondary motivation is forcing economic troubles in the hopes that that helps Republicans um, in the long term. If the economy is weak, that's good for the out party. Um, But there is no if if you define caring about substance as, oh, Kevin McCarthy and Chuck Schumer and Biden are going to get together to try to figure out a way to solve the asylum issue or, or you know, help fix the tax code or come to a, a deal on, you know, uh, climate. like No, obviously, like they're not going to they don't fucking want to do any of that and they won't do any of it.
0: Well, like you were immersed in this world up until just a few years ago. Yeah. Is that is that actually helpful for the right? I mean, does the right want to see legislative solutions or do they want the dysfunction because the dysfunction then shows that government isn't the solution, it's the problem. And so in turn, you have to get smaller government. And at the end of the day, that's what these people want. They want no government at all. So in a way, are there Republicans out there rooting for the whole for the whole building to burn down? Or or is there some degree of like, look, in this last Congress, we were able to get Uh, the ability for the government to negotiate lower drug prices. We were able to get health care for veterans. We were able to get the CHIPS Act and the, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars investments that came with it and on and on and on.
1: Yeah, I, I think you hit on it. It's a bottom-up issue, right? Uh, Thomas Massey is a libertarian congressman from Kentucky. He he hit on this. He had this classic quote, uh, which said, uh, "Before 2016, we all thought that Republican voters wanted the most conservative policies. Um, uh, it turns out what they wanted was the craziest son of a bitch in the race, <laughs> yeah. and and that's right. At Republican voters, you know, if you." This, particularly for federal offices, we have a, at the blog, we have a focus group podcast. Where we talk to MAGA voters and and it's a little bit different from like governor's races. Like voter, they voters do want specific things from yeah. their governor, but from senators from the president, what they want is the performative, nihilistic, lib owning, tear it, burn everything down. That's what the voters want, yeah. right? And so if you go to cut a deal, you get punished. I mean, just look at John Boehner and Paul Ryan. I, Kevin McCarthy has learned from the failures of his predecessors right uh, i i mean it was the republicans have gotten punished time and again by their own voters not by the electorate at large but by their own voters in primaries you know if they are too willing to kind of negotiate and solve, you know, if you try to solve a problem, well, then that, that opened you up to a lot of criticism, right? Yeah. If, if all you do is say, oh, let, I, I want, I'm against this, I'm against that, I want to tear that down, well, then that then you don't have any accountability or responsibility for anything, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that that is what, is what is driving this. You know, I think that there are still a handful of Republicans in Washington that would love to like achieve maybe not the policy objectives that you agree with but like you know that have genuine beliefs about regulatory reform or whatever uh but uh, but they've learned that that just gets them in trouble with voters and the best thing to do is like dunk on the lips yeah
0: tim where can we
1: see and hear more from you Um, We've got a show on Snapchat called Not My Party. Uh, We have a podcast at The Bulwark every day, The Bulwark Podcast. We do a once a week next level podcast at The Bulwark. Um, I'm on MSNBC from time to time, flapping my jaw. I'm on Twitter still, even though Elon's trying to ruin it. I'm like doing my tweets. And so, you know, I'm a multi-platform content man. Well, make sure to follow Tim. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's so good we got to do this in person. This is awesome.
0: Thanks again to Tim. That's it for this episode. Talk to you next week.